Uh, they seem to be natural disasters which God uses in a kind of a supernatural way to bring judgment upon the earth. Kind of like he did with the plagues of Egypt. Keep Hold on to that thought. It's going to be important in a moment. But I think that these first four primarily uh, are God using natural events in a supernatural way to bring judgment upon the, ha- the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, hail and fire mingled with blood reminds us of the seventh plague that God poured out upon Egypt. We read about that in Exodus 9, verses 18 through 26. Also, Joel, the prophet, promised that blood and fire would accompany or would be a part of God's last day's judgment. You can read about that in Joel chapter 2, verse 30. This could be a supernatural kind of a thing. Uh, in the sense that it's, it's purely supernatural. And if that's the case, we really don't have to try to figure out how blood and fire and hail could all be mixed together. If it's just God putting together this little cocktail of judgment and throwing it onto the earth, we don't really have to worry about, well, how did this, how did this all happen this way, right? Uh, but it could be, again, that God is using natural disasters in a way to bring about this judgment. Dr. Henry Morris, in his commentary on Revelation, said... Uh, another possibility might be that uh, that of a worldwide volcanic explosions, a normal consequence of a worldwide violent earthquake, which chapter 8, verse 5 says happened. The masses of water vapor blown skyward might well condense in the intense updrafts as hailstones and showers of burning lava might well be cast upon the earth with them. The blood of entrapped men and animals might be mingled with them, or possibly showers of liquid water drops might be so contaminated with dust and gases as to appear blood red. Could be. He offers another explanation. He said, It may be possible that angelic hosts will divert the path of one of the many comets uh, with which the solar system abounds so that the earth will pass through its tail. Whether such an experience would produce the phenomena described in this passage, we do not know. Since our scientists have no uh, experimental data to go on yet with regard to this kind of thing, end quote. So we don't know. I was just watching um, uh, Discovery Channel or History Channel a few days ago, and they had talked about uh, some comet that... Uh, seems to be coming towards the earth. Of course, at this point, it could miss us by millions of miles. We don't know, but but I was it was interesting. I've never heard of this particular comet, but there's all kinds of comets out there in our solar system. We 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 know about Halley's. That's one of the more famous ones. But there's all kinds of them, and, and meteorites and asteroids. In fact, I watched a program that uh, was the scientists were saying it's not a matter of if we get hit by one of these things. It's simply a matter of when. It's going to happen. Now, the target for this judgment is the green vegetation and trees, excuse me, the green vegetation consisting of trees and grass. One third of the trees and all the green grass is burned up. You know, we can imagine how this would affect not only the balance of nature, but also the food supply. The Greek word for trees here is dendron. It's often used to um, represent fruit bearing trees, fruit bearing trees. And of course, all the pasture land destroyed, that's going to affect the dairy and meat industry, which will, could lead to more widespread famine and more starvation and deaths. So one thing kind of leads to another, right? 
You can't just judge one area of the earth and not have ripple effects that will uh, touch other areas and so on. Of course, at this point, all the tree huggers are going to be having heart attacks. <laughs> you know, the radical environmentalists. But you know what God is doing here? He's judging man's God. And what is man's God today for the most part? Mother Earth. In fact, there's even a name that people have given uh, Mother Earth, uh, Gaia. It's uh, a name that describes this deity that uh, the people have deified the earth and call her Mother Earth. Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, Love Your Mother, with a picture of the earth there. Love Your Mother. Uh, People today are worshiping the earth. Uh, And it takes different forms, whether you're talking about naturalism, which would be all the evolutionists and scientists pretty much, or the pantheism or the pantheist, which believes that God is in all, uh, you know, that the God force is, is, is flowing through everything in the creation. So everything is really a part of God and part of the God force and so on. Uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever form it takes, it is really simply the worship of the creation in defiance of the creator. Now, in Romans chapter 1, you're very familiar with this passage, no doubt. But in verse 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, right? The wrath of God. This takes different forms, but the ultimate expression of God's wrath is what we're studying right now. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all those who are ungodly, unrighteous, and who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And here is the main description of them, as Paul gives it to us in verse 25 of Romans 1, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, or the creation, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, what we have today is a wholesale worshiping of the earth. It takes different forms. Again, some of it is in the form of evolution or naturalism. Others, it's in the form of pantheism, which we would include the Hindus and the New Agers and and, and many others. And of course, Wiccans, uh, they worship the earth uh, for different reasons. And there's a lot of people that worship the earth, that have deified the earth. And so God is basically destroying here man's God. Now, people would say, well, wait a minute, though. God is destroying his own creation. No, he's destroying the fallen creation. See, in the Garden of Eden, man corrupted and defiled God's original creation. This world is not the world God originally created. When people look into this world and they see all the evil and injustice and sickness and famine and all the other things that sin has brought into the world, which is just the result of man's rebellion, and they look at this world and they want to use it to impugn God's character or claim how could he be a God of love, look at the horrible condition of the world and so on and so forth, uh, that is manifestly wrong for anyone to do that because this is not the world God originally created for us to live in. This is a product of the fall. And Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 8, as he's kind of personifying the creation, he said all of creation is really groaning and laboring under the weight of this sin and condemnation and corruption that man's rebellion has brought upon it. It's waiting for the glorious day when Christ returns and fixes the creation, restores it to the place where God originally intended it to be. Jesus said, in the regeneration 
When the Son of Man comes, you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, he told his disciples. The word regeneration uh, literally means in the Greek, back to Genesis. When Jesus comes and he turns the clock back on the earth, on the creation, to a time before the fall, basically, that's going to be an awesome thing. That's going to be a place we're going to live for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom. But right now, God is judging, or is going to be judging, I should say, the earth. Not that his original creation was evil. He said, after every day of creation, it is good. It is good. And God saw that it was good. And after the sixth day, he stepped back and said, it was all good. It's what man did that made it bad. And so God's got to judge man's fallen world, a world that he now has deified and worships before God can restore it. Now in verses 7 through 12, four times during these judgments, we read the words, and a third was destroyed. And a third part was destroyed, right? Again, guys, God could have destroyed it all up front. I mean, God could have destroyed everything right up front. The fact that he's taking his time indicates that he is patient and long-suffering. He wants to give everybody an opportunity to repent and get saved. He doesn't want to see anyone go to hell. And yes, he's ratcheting up the, the judgments. But the, I think the main purpose of this is that people would really finally be broken of their sin, let go of it, fall to their knees, and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? Millions upon millions of people will during this time. I told you that um, J. Vernon McGee said, and I agree with him, that the 144,000 are going to bring more people to Christ in seven years than the church has done in the last 2,000. And that's not because the church has has been so terrible. Let's face it, it has not been problem-free by any means. It just goes to show you, though, the anointing of God upon these people, coupled with all these judgments which are causing people to see this life is nothing. It's, it's a vapor. A couple of years ago, they, uh, they did a little something in the paper. They showed the top stories on September 10th, 2001, and then the top stories the next day. Quite a difference. Quite a difference. You look at what we were concerned about a day before, it was nothing but fluff, and stupidity, really. What actor was involved with this affair? You know, what athlete was, was involved getting this much money or whatever it might be? Just ridiculous, empty things. You know, tribulation is a way of getting your priorities straight, getting your, your head on straight. And that's what I really believe God is wanting to do here through these judgments. Yes, he has to judge man's sin. But in the process, he's leaving the door open at any time for anyone who will get on their knees and repent and receive Christ, that they will be saved. That's, I believe, his true desire. Well, verse 8, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, at this point, there are many commentators that look at this whole section allegorically, and they try to symbolize the text. Uh, they will say, well, grass, that's referring to people. Didn't Peter tell us that uh, all flesh is as grass, right? 
trees. Well, those are world leaders. Nebuchadnezzar was likened to a tree in the book of Daniel. They say mountains, that's symbolic of earthly governments. And that's true. I can show you different examples in the scriptures in the Old Testament where mountains were used to signify earthly governments. And they say that sea, well, that refers to humanity in general. And sure enough, in Revelation 13, verse 1 and other places, but 13, verse 1, we see the beast of the Antichrist coming up out of the seas. And there I do believe it is symbolic. I believe it's the nations. He comes out of the nations to rule the nations. So there are times when, of course, these things can be looked at symbolically. But were the plagues of Egypt symbolic or were they literal? Literal. And there's very many parallels by no accident that the Holy Spirit is using these judgments in a parallel way to the judgments of Israel, which we all know were literal, there is no reason that we should spiritualize these judgments. I take them at face value. I believe they are literal judgments at this point poured out against the earth and the waters of the earth, the same way the plagues of Egypt were poured out in a very literal, uh, real way. Now, once again, verse 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. You know, skeptics and critics read the scriptures, and they don't really read it carefully. And they go, oh, you stupid Christians. What, you think God's going to pick a mountain up and throw it into the sea? John says it was like a mountain. He didn't say it was actually a mountain. He said something like a mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. I believe this is some kind of a giant asteroid or meteor that as it enters the Earth's atmosphere, of course, begins to burn with fire. I think that's what John is seeing. I think that man's worst fears are going to be coming true. I think that, uh, and to listen to these scientists in that program I was telling you about, uh, they were really scared. Because they really believed it was not a matter of if, but when the earth was hit by a giant meteorite or asteroid or something like that. And I believe that it's right here is what happens. The fact that Jesus in Luke 21 verse 26 tells us that during this time, this time we're studying right now, that during this time, this is a quote from the Lord, men's hearts would be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. I think that indicates that the people of this world are going to see this thing coming. They're going to see every telescope on earth is going to be pointed at this object. They're going to see this thing coming from millions of miles away. And it's going to dominate the news day and night, right? Of course, initially the big question is going to be in everyone's uh, mind, is it going to hit us? Well, after a while, they're going to confirm, yes, it's going to definitely hit the earth. Then the main question becomes, where is it going to hit and how much damage is it going to do, right? And men's hearts failing them for fear of the things coming upon the earth. Well, John says this great mountain or this great meteorite burning with fire was thrown into the sea. So it hits somewhere in either the ocean or the sea. Uh, from what I've been able to understand as I've been studying this, if a meteor a mile wide struck the ocean, it would create a tidal wave two miles high, 
moving at over 600 miles an hour in every direction. Which means when this thing, these tidal waves eventually reached land, they would devastate. Uh, the the, the uh, property damage would be in the trillions of dollars and probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives would be lost. Of course, uh, those people that were farthest away from the impact point, if it hit somewhere near Europe or Africa in the Atlantic, of course, those in America would have no doubt time to, to, to flee the coastlands, get to higher ground. That's if communications are still working. When this thing hits, it's going to have the force of how many, we don't know how many, uh, megaton uh, atomic warhead. You know what I'm saying? It's going to hit with such force, we don't even know if communications are going to be knocked out so that people on uh, the east coast of America aren't even going to know this tidal wave is coming. That's a pretty horrible thing to think about, right? Something it could hit in the Mediterranean because it says the sea here. Sometimes the sea is just a word used for oceans as well. But they think maybe it's going to hit in the Mediterranean because that's going to be kind of the heart of the Antichrist headquarters. If you believe he's going to put up his headquarters maybe somewhere in the rebuilt Roman Empire or maybe in the Middle East somewhere, of course this thing hitting in the Mediterranean would devastate uh, that whole area around the Mediterranean Sea. Somebody has said that the Atlantic Ocean covers about one-third of the surface of the earth. I haven't really confirmed that, but probably close enough, right? I mean, if this thing hits in the Atlantic Ocean, it's going to do incredible damage. I mean, do you realize that 80% of the oxygen on planet Earth does not come from the rainforest? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from phytoplankton and algae in the oceans and seas of the earth. If one-third of all life in the sea is destroyed, say it's the Atlantic Ocean, this thing hits and wipes out a third of all life in the Atlantic Ocean, including the plankton and the algae, it could cut the Earth's oxygen by 20 to 25 percent, making it difficult to breathe, especially in higher elevations. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I promised you that through the study you'd be thankful. When was the last time you thanked God for oxygen? I mean, I don't think I ever have. I've never, I've just taken it for granted. I've never gotten up and said, Lord, thank you for oxygen. That may change for the people of this world. We don't know. I mean, we're talking about cataclysms that it's, it's hard for us to even comprehend. Of course, the commercial shipping, military ships in the Atlantic, a third of those are going to be destroyed. And if several of them, and I don't see why there shouldn't be, several nuclear subs in the Atlantic at that time, if they are wiped out and they have a core meltdown, you can imagine how that's going to kill life in the ocean there. I mean, we could just come up with all kinds of scenarios that we could think of happening, right? Well, verse 10, then the third angel sounded. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Wormwood means bitter, poisonous, though. This is a judgment that's poured out upon the fresh water of the earth. The last one on the seas, the salt water, this one on the fresh water of the earth. 
And again, when was the last time you thanked God for fresh water to drink? You know, right now in Georgia, they're suffering a tremendous drought. You've heard about that. It's so bad that the governor, who is a Christian, called for a prayer meeting on the steps of the Capitol. Maybe you saw it on television. Atheists didn't like it, but tough. And the next day, God gave them rain. Now, I don't know how much rain they got. I don't know if it's going to be enough to do anything. But what, a, what an encouragement that must have been. But I've been watching the news and, and watching specials on, like, you know, Discovery and History Channel and Learning Channel about how in the future, and already we're experiencing it, how fresh water is going to become more valuable than oil or a lot of other things that we associate with value right now. We take fresh water for granted. But already, because, you know, there are so many uh, places in the desert where they've, uh, you know, Las Vegas and other places where uh, they've just expanded. Uh, people are moving out like crazy out there, and there's just not enough water, you know? What is it like? What will be like to, to live always worrying about having enough fresh water to drink for you and your family? You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.